Welcome to the Professional Drinkers Podcast, brought to you by choosesunrise.co.uk. I'm Janet Hadley, and this is for you if you're an HR professional, a business owner, or a leader who'd like to explore the drinking culture in your workplace. I'll bring you lived experience stories, expert views, and tips for creating a drink-safe workspace without killing the buzz. Hello and welcome back. It's been another crazy busy two weeks since you sunrise. Um, how are you all doing? I hope you're well and enjoying the longer evenings and a little bit of extra sunlight, even a bit of sun there's been over the last couple of weeks, which has been lovely. Um, so it's a big week for me. I have my first ever appearance at a CIPD conference um, this week. So by the time this podcast is released, that will be done. So I'm speaking um, at the CIPD conference at Marble Arch um, in London, which is the Wellbeing at Work conference, delivering a fireside chat um, about taboo subjects in the workplace. So I'm really looking forward to that and look out for uh, me posting about that on social media this week. Um, what else is going on? So we have um, World Sleep Day upcoming, which is the 17th of March. Um, if you head over to the Choose Sunrise website, you'll be able to download some free resources on there to help you celebrate World Sleep Day. You might be surprised at how much of a link there is between good a good night's sleep and sobriety stroke alcohol use um there are some startling statistics in the hr resources this month that reveal that even really quite small amounts of alcohol can have a catastrophic effect on your sleep patterns um and for me certainly um putting down the booze and and getting a good night's sleep um, has been a catalyst, I think, for a lot of other well-being changes. Um, it really is the elephant in the well-being room. Alcohol it 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 interferes with so many of your body's natural rhythms, and as a result of getting better sleep, I think that you know I do wonder how much of the benefits that I felt could actually be attributed to the great sleep that I've had. Um, and it is the most wonderful, wonderful feeling to know that every single day when I wake up. I will definitely, definitely never, ever have anxiety ever again. (laughs) And if that's not enough to cheer anybody up, then I don't know what is. So, yeah, definitely worth checking out the resources on the website. Um, We've also got um, a couple of things going on um, with the co-op. So we've got a really brave young woman coming into um, share her story in the co-op's Sober Curious Society. So if you haven't heard about this, um, the co-op have a peer support group for the Sober Curious run in the workplace by myself. Um, And each month we have either a guest speaker or somebody from the group who shares their story. And I'm so looking forward to this month where we have um, someone who's going to come and share with her colleagues and her peers what it's been like for her living with um, relatives who've suffered with alcohol use disorder. Um, I think we might have to have the tissues at the ready, to be fair. Um, But what a wonderful way to open up a conversation about such a a taboo and difficult topic um, and to really give other people who might be in that position a safe space where they can connect with each other and perhaps offer each other some support. Um, I think it's really magical what the co-op are doing in this space. And if it's something that you feel you would like in your workplace, then please do get in touch with me. I would love to come and bring this to your workplace. 
Um, then just one other bit of news from Choose Sunrise for me. Um, it's um, perhaps if you're listening to this as an HR professional, um, this may not be for you, um, but perhaps it is. So this summer, I'm going to be personally coaching 20 professional women to have a complete reset of their alcohol use. Um, and it will involve a combination of group coaching, um, some individual coaching sessions, and an online course called 101 Days to Sober, which has successfully transformed the, line, the lives of dozens of people in my private practice. And I would love for you to get in touch if you think that this is for you. It is the most transformational decision you can ever make is to put down the bottle. And the reason why we do 101 days over the summer is because, first of all, forever is far too long for anybody to commit to. And I understand that nobody is going to come on my program if I say you need to stop drinking forever. I mean, that just sounds ridiculous, right? Um, however, if you are interested in having a complete reset of your relationship with alcohol, come with us and do the 101 days. If you choose to go back to drinking at the end of that, it is completely fine and it is up to you. I mean, top secret spoiler alert you won't want to <laughs> but you are welcome to um, and I'm so excited I've already got three of my 20 um, and I have a special early bird discount if you sign up by the end of March so head over to choosesunrise.co.uk if you think that might be of interest um, and then I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this month's guest. So we have the wonderful Adam Smith, who it turns out, as we were chatting, only lives a few miles away from me. And we didn't even realise that. So that's quite exciting. So I feel like we might actually bump into each other in real life now, which is nice. Um, because we met through LinkedIn. Um, I've been following um, Adam's um, posts on LinkedIn for some time. So he's the co-founder of a company called the A-Game Consultancy. And he works with men, professional men, who want to be on their A-Game. And he provides um, programs that address not just alcohol use, but fitness and nutrition and overall health and well-being. And he's got a really interesting story, which he's sharing very openly with us on this podcast. Um, and I think he's got a brilliant proposition because there's so little out there, actually, that 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 is specifically targeted at men who are perhaps drinking too much, perhaps feeling stressed and anxious. Um, there's quite a lot out there, I think, for women. Um, and I think Adam's got a real brilliant and unique proposition here. And if you are um, a stressed out male exec, working far too hard and drinking too much, you know you're not eating the right things, you know you're not moving enough, and you need some inspiration and motivation and support with that, I really do think Adam is the right person for the job. So I would love, I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Um, and I'm introducing to you Adam Smith from A Game Consultancy. So my guest this week, welcome to Adam Smith, um, who runs a company and, and founded a company, co-founded actually, uh, called the A Game. Um, so welcome, Adam, and tell us a little bit more about your work and what you do there. Yeah, thanks for having me. So um, we formed this business about two years ago. It was three founders all called Adam, which is quite strange <laughs> in itself. Yeah. Um, so that wasn't the reason why we did it, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I had my own coaching business before that. And <clears throat> I transitioned from hospitality and I just 
I've always loved working with people. I've always been fascinated by human behavior and why we do what we do. And when the lockdown hit, I'd been in hospitality for 14 years and I knew that I just needed to transition away from it because it wasn't getting any easier. I was getting older. The hours were still the same. And um, when you're finishing work at four or five o'clock in the morning, it can become quite challenging, as you can imagine. So when the lockdown hit, went on my own, um, really missed being part of a team. I had two clients that I'd known separately for a very long time and they'd never actually met before. But one was a nutritional therapist, one was a physio and personal trainer, and then myself was the mindset coach. And I thought, there's nothing really out there that does all three that I know of anyway. And the fact we're all called Adam is just a wonderful bonus. So (laughs) um, I rang them both up because they were coming for coaching from me around imposter syndrome, self-sabotaging. Their businesses weren't necessarily working at the time. So I thought, let's merge three together. And so we did, and we formed A-Game in uh, January 2021 and saw some really good results in year one. The idea being that we help people improve their internal, physical, and mental health. And then it got to um, the back end of last year, and the physio slash personal trainer, Adam, wanted to leave the business. So we bought him out, and then now it's just myself and my other business partner, and We're both alcohol-free, and hence why we're on this conversation today, but we've got a huge focus on alcohol-free living. Uh, Rather than demonizing the the drink itself, we prefer to celebrate the benefits of that, and that's a huge part of why we do what we do every day, is to change and the relationship around alcohol, educate people on what it actually is and the impact it has on our lives and how life can look when you don't have it. So... Yeah, we just we just love helping people essentially, and to put it simply, we just want to help people not feel like shit. So, yeah, <laughs> and that doesn't sound very glamorous, but that's essentially what it is that we specialize in. So, um, yeah. yeah, and here we are. I know, and you know, there's so many things I want to pick up on in that already. But um, like when you say helping people not feel like shit, isn't it incredible how much of feeling like shit might be related to alcohol, and yet nobody ever tells you that. So you think that hangover lasts, what, a morning? But then when you stop drinking, for me anyway, I realised that hang- hangovers were lasting well into the middle of the week or, or the mm. effects of alcohol. It might not be a hangover. But mm. take the alcohol out of the equation and 12 weeks later, I felt I felt like I'd been given a second chance at life. Mm. I was like, wow. <laughs> I didn't even know I was anxious till I stopped drinking. And now that I've not got this kind of low level of anxiety going on all the time anymore... I just feel amazing and mm. I cannot believe that nobody nobody told me it was the booze. No one ever tells you, do they? And and so I love what you're doing with that. And I really love the positive sobriety message. Um so mm. tell us a bit more then about um how you what what's your typical client then? What do they look like? What do they sound like? What sort of problems do they report? Yeah, typically um we do work with men and women, but typically it's men that we specialize in. So um, men that are probably 35 plus successful in their career, but they feel like failures, no boundaries uh, when it comes to work. The, I don't like the terminology of work-life balance because I really don't believe that it exists. I think you just have to be fully present in whatever passage of time you're experiencing. So if you are playing with the kids and you're doing work emails, you've lost, if you're, you know, 
um, at work and you're getting distracted with arguments from your partner, you've lost it. It's that kind of thing is how I, I view it. It's really been present in the moment where you possibly can. I know it's not always um, achievable, of course not, but typically it's men that are just burnt out, stressed, neglected their bodies, drinking too much, uh, either through entertaining clients or using it as a coping mechanism to deal with the children or the stresses of everyday life. They're perhaps not eating very well, not getting outside. They're prioritizing the business, but they're not prioritizing their bodies and they're getting things a little bit confused. So that's typically who we work with. We have worked with professional athletes, some celebrities, um, corporate businesses, and what have you as well. And that's very much where we're going down the more professional athlete route in the next sort of 12 to 18 months as a bit of a roadmap. But for the time being, yeah, it's just working with anyone that's a high performer. And what I consider a high performer isn't just a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. It's anybody that wants to better themselves. It's anyone that's looking at their life and saying, I'm doing okay, or I'm doing really well in this area, but I really want to improve a different um, side of my life right now. So I don't think you have to put a metric on a financial thing to determine whether somebody's successful or not, because that's just not right. I know lots of millionaires that we've worked with that are utterly miserable. I know other people that earn a modest salary that are really happy. So, uh, you know, um, and it's not about the, 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 the debate of money equals happiness and all that kind of stuff or money doesn't make you happy. It's just what does success look like? And misery tends to happen when you're not fulfilled and there's an old yeah. phrase which I really like, which is, you know, success without fulfillment is failure. And, you know, you've heard the old adage before, I'd rather be crying in my Ferrari. I, I don't believe in that necessarily. I've worked with people that have millions and crying in the Ferrari is, you know, actually quite depressing when yeah. you think about that. They've worked their whole lives, they've given up everything, yet they're still miserable. Yeah. That's uh, that's really challenging to navigate, and that's what we help people do is really get outside of themselves, get out of their own head, refocus on their habits, refocus on their day-to-day living. Um, we do this through neuro-linguistic programming that I do. We do this through um, nutritional therapy. Um, we do DNA test kits for people where you can identify exactly what impact foods are having on your body and why that's causing it. Um so yeah, that's typically that's fascinating. And you're right. I I uh, I'm also an NLP practitioner as well. I awesome. didn't know that about you, so that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I love NLP. Absolutely mm-hmm. love it. I'm fairly new to it, so I only recently qualified. Um, and it's really kind of helped me so much with my coaching practice. Um, I feel like I can help my clients, um, in a much a much more structured way actually. And I, I don't use it in every single session, mm-hmm. um, but I will. I find it's really, really helpful for giving people a personalized toolkit of, um, you know, things, things that are built just for them that they can go to and get out of their little personal toolbox when they need them. And it's been brilliant for helping people with stopping drinking. I'm sure you do the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's sort of unpacking the story because we've all got a, a script and I don't want to use like some, uh, you know, sort of woo woo language here, but I fully believe that if you look at your life like a film, a lot of people, me included, up until about three or four years ago, I was living my life as if I was just an extra in my own movie, getting told (laughs) what to wear, where to stand, what to say, how to feel, you know, just to please everybody else. And and so you can really take ownership of your own life and realize, actually, you're the director and the screenwriter here. You get to choose 
what the options are. You get to put in the boundaries. You get to use effective communication. You get to say no to things you don't want to do. Um, this is really uh, interesting for me. And we've all got a set of beliefs and a set of stories that have been instilled in us from a very young age. And when it comes to things like alcohol or stopping smoking, it's, yeah, you know, people go, oh, I've always done it. We haven't always done it. And I know it's quite literal language, but that is the key in the linguistic part of neuro-linguistic programming. It's the messages that you send into your brain every day. And you haven't always smoked. When you go back to the, or drank, it might be, well, when I was 16, all my friends were doing it. Ah, so your earliest exposure to alcohol was actually through human connection and through camaraderie. And you didn't want to be the one not to drink. And no one enjoys drinking at the age of 16. You do it because your mates are doing it too. Really, it tastes horrible drinking a bottle of vodka or drinking eight cans of beer after the third one, you're sick of it, right? So you're doing it because you've been exposed to it from a young age. The adults have it. You can't have it. You have a little bit of brandy on your tooth as a baby. Then you might be able to have a little taste of daddy's pint when you sat around at Sunday lunch. And it just it just keeps going and going. And until you can understand why you do what you do, you can't change it. Yeah. So that's that's yeah. why I find NLP so helpful is to really mm. take them back to before the moment happened so you can change the yes, story attached to it. The story, yeah. Yeah. I, I I really like that analogy of being an extra in your own movie and moving into that director position. I think that's very empowering. Um mm. yeah, I think we're probably quite similar in, in our approach actually, um, to what you're talking about there, you know, catching people saying those those words like always I've always done it you know uh, limiting beliefs coming out left right and center from clients so yeah it's it's brilliant and it's such rewarding work isn't it when you can help somebody to change the story um I really love that um song do you know the song from Matilda that's about um it's it's called Naughty um and it's by Tim Minchin and it's in it's in a musical musical theater okay. I'm going a bit yeah. left field here it's, no, no. go and look it up and have a listen um okay. it, it's basically about this concept, but from the mouths of babes and told in musical theatre. Um, right, okay. <laughs> and it's about changing your story. Yeah. Um, it's a brilliant, brilliant little song. I love Tim Minchin. I think he's a genius, but yeah. I digress. Anyway, so <laughs> I wanted to ask you, if you don't mind, and, you know, please tell me if you don't want to share this, but I wanted mm. to ask you about your own relationship with alcohol mm. and how that developed and particularly how the roles that you did in you know in hospitality how they intertwined with your relationship with alcohol as well yeah sure um yeah by the way i'm, I'm an open book so you can ask me anything Great. and i'll answer um <clears throat> yeah it's interesting really i um my first proper memory of drinking i i was on a family holiday i was 16 maybe but i'm six foot four so instantly when you're that age you look a little bit older because yeah. height was associated to you know looking older right but I looked older and uh, we were away in Spain and obviously the rules there were a little bit um, you know less strict than they are in the UK and <clears throat> I think I must have had five or six pints with a friend of mine because it was a family holiday and their family came away with ours and I remember just uh, I won't go into too much gory detail, but basically vomiting um, yeah. all over myself in the street and whatever. And I felt horrific. But obviously, when you're 16, you recover pretty quick. You jump in the pool the next day and you're good yeah. to go, right? Yeah. Um, but then when I used to go out with my friends, I quickly realized I hated the feeling of being out of control. 
I hated it from a very young age because that was my earliest ones. Then I went to a house party about a year later and again, drank too much, put in a car. Mum and dad picked me up. I was sick all over myself again. So my two of my earliest exposures to it were heavily drinking and throwing up because of it. And um, I remember the second time I almost choked. So that was really quite... um, I don't like using the word traumatic, but it was, yeah, it, was yeah. it was pretty scary. It was yeah. pretty scary at the time. So I just, I, I thought to myself, I hate being out of control. I hate being drunk, but I like the feeling of what drink was providing me with, which was, so I'm very extroverted, but I'm also, um, I also go within myself quite a bit. So, you know, again, the classic omnivert, you know, I like to thrive in social occasions don't get me wrong I'm very outgoing and loud and what have you but I also love being on my own and I know again that might sound quite generic but some people just love being in their own space and feel like they're forced to go out and other people just love the energy of other people and can't be on their own but I'm very much in the middle of that I would say so I was very much a JD and Coke and pint of lager kind of person and then I stumbled across hospitality because I was working for my dad, who's got a successful plumbing and heating business. And I really struggled at school because I got dyspraxia and ADHD and it was undiagnosed until I was like 15 or 16 years old. And so everyone just thought I was just a distraction and I was naughty and I was this and I was that. And parts of that were true, but at the same time, (laughs) I've become so disengaged that I just thought, right, that's it. I'm going to take over my dad's business and make a fortune, be fine. Yeah. Not realizing what was actually involved in the business and <laughs> bet, yeah. it was so yeah. um it's very easy as a 15 16 year old to see the nice holidays and the houses and the cars and then you do it and you go oh shit i yeah. hate this and yeah it's, it's not hard, for me at it? all yeah <clears throat> yeah so i left hospital i left that job went to hospitality and um yeah i i sort of was keep drinking and going on nights out just because that was the thing to do. After work, you went out with your mates and you had more drink and more drink and more drink and you just kept doing it. And as I progressed through my career, it was becoming more and more acceptable to have an occasional drink while working, nothing too drastic. And I worked for a couple of different corporate businesses where if you obviously drank too much on shift without permission, you'd get sacked and all that kind of stuff. But I left quite a corporate position uh, to go work for an independent and yeah. it was almost encouraged to drink with the guests it was part of the experience it's a late night cocktail bar in Leeds and the atmosphere is insane and it was so good and so much fun the highs are really high but the lows are really low and even in the early days of hospitality you know I saw brawls that you know would be film worthy you know yeah. um yeah 30, 40 man brawls, people getting glassed, people getting stabbed, people getting stamped on. Uh, You'll see someone cheat on their wife, even though the Mm. wife's 10 yards away from them because they're so inebriated, they don't even realize what they're doing. Um, One guy that I know, his marriage actually ended because he got with a woman that he thought was his wife because he was so drunk, he could hardly stand up. And if people go, oh, no way. No, it's a drug. It alters Mm. your behavior. And people, you know, again, cognitively it impacts you in so many different ways that of course you wouldn't do that when sober one or two if you've got one or two drinks in your system and for example you cheat on your partner or you become more aggressive then yes you could maybe say that's just who you are and that's how you really feel but when you're past the point of not being able to stand up there's very little that you can actually control 
And would you do any of that when you were sober? No. So therefore, the drug has altered your behavior. Absolutely, it has. So it'd be like saying a sleeping tablet doesn't help you sleep. Well, of course it does. Yeah. <laughs> Without it, you wouldn't be where you are. So yeah. <clears throat> um, I saw it end relationships. I saw it end lives. I've seen two people die in front of me oh, gosh. due to alcohol-related incidents. Oh, that's um, awful. One was a, yeah, one yeah. was an attack. One was a... Um, heart attack but again the heart attack was due to excessive drinking um so yeah it it changed a lot but as i got to my late 20s into early 30s this is where it became really bad and my life started to fall apart about five years ago i was working 16 hour days neglecting my relationship at the time got to around christmas time i was utterly miserable i broke down in front of my area manager got signed off from work as I was signed off from work, my uh, relationship of four years ended. Um, I lost three family members in the space of a month, oh, gosh. which just kept adding to the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And then two months later, I actually lost my job. So now I've lost my relationship, lost my job, three family members gone, I've been signed off with depression. So I've just turned to even more alcohol, you know, yeah. chasing that next relationship, one night stands, um, going out six times a week because I couldn't stand being on my own. Um, the list went on and on and on, and my life just became uh, an absolute cesspit, to be honest. Then I got a new job. Things started to turn around a little bit, and then about four months later, my best friend's dad died. And I remember being at the wake, and I just thought, this is it. I just want to end it now. So I drank about 10 pints, and... I don't say this to brag, but 10 pints at the time didn't even touch the sides. You know, when I was working on a Saturday night, I could drink upwards of a bottle and a half of whiskey and five or six beers and still be able to serve people like quite easily. It was shocking. Yeah, tolerance has just gone up and up and up. Yeah, Yeah. crazy. Like Mm. people just thought you were a bit tipsy. And you're like, if you wrote down what I drank, It'd be, you know, probably sedate a horse. It's horrendous. Yeah. And yeah, it got to a point where I literally nearly ended my life after that wake. You know, I got in the car, we drove at 110 miles an hour with every intention of crashing my car. And I'd been to my mum and dad earlier and left my wallet there. And my mum just said, you've you've left your wallet at home. Do you want me to come drop it off for you? And as soon as I saw her name, mum appear on the screen and I heard a voice, I just slammed the brakes on and, the car just started spinning out of control and I just sat in a lay-by and just sobbed for about, I don't know, four, about four hours. I was just sat in this car, wow. just not knowing what to do yeah. uh, or yeah. where to go and how do I turn it around. And so, yeah, it was, and that still wasn't enough pain for me. Nearly ending yeah. my life still wasn't enough pain for me. And I carried on, albeit very reduced intake. And then when the lockdown hit, I reduced it even more. And then it got to later on that year, and I went away with my partner to the Lake District, and it was around July, I think the 30th or July 31st, near her birthday. And I said to her, this is it, I'm done. I just want to take a break. So I took a 30-day break, then a 60-day break. Then it got to Christmas. And I thought, I'll have a few Baileys on Christmas Day. You know, the story yep. again. I can't not drink at Christmas. Oh, of course, yeah. And um, <laughs> and, I, and I didn't. And I, I, and I got past it. And I thought, if I can get through Christmas without yeah. drinking, I can yeah. get through anything. And uh, 
two and a half years later, I'm still alcohol free and I'm still on that break. So yeah. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, you, your sober date must be similar to mine then. Mine, mine's 26th of June, 2020. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> July. Oh, it's yeah. weird. My, my, my partner's birthday is July the 31st. So it was around, I think it was the 30th. Yeah. And oddly enough, the thousand days is actually going to be on my birthday. Ah, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. It's on yeah. April 27th. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. Literally just about a month apart, I think. So yeah. Oh, that's nice. We're like there sober buddies. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> brilliant. Really. And what, um, what changed for you after you stopped drinking? Oh, just everything. Um, the reason I'll never go back to it. Cause I, I say to clients like never say never, right. Cause it puts too much pressure on yourself. Yep. Let's just take it a day at a time. And I still say that. Don't get me wrong. I still say today I'm not drinking. But the reason why I believe I'll never go back is I'm quite a logical person. And the alcohol-free alternatives now are so good that you wouldn't even notice the difference. Because rewind 10 years ago, it was Beck's Blue or a Diet Coke. Whereas now, like the Heineken Zeros, I mean, I'm I'm not a big pale ale fan anyway but some of the cocktails and pale ales and gins and all sorts they have is unbelievable so um when i asked myself the question i stopped asking what's wrong with it and i started asking what's right with it what's right with a couple of beers if anyone can tell me other than the fact that they like it then i'll listen but there's no benefit at all so that's one question um and the other one not really a question, but more of just an observation. I've got two glasses that both have liquid in it. They look the same and they taste the same. One makes me depressed, anxious, aggressive, judgmental, eat junk food. The other one, I wake up normal, fresh, full of energy. Uh, Don't make stupid mistakes. Don't drunk text my ex, you know. (laughs) And and, uh, yeah, so the, the benefits I've personally seen and when I did list these, my friend challenged me on it because he's a drinker. And he said, well, surely all of these things aren't just down to alcohol. And I said, well, maybe not. But you tell me any one of these scenarios that alcohol improves and I'll listen. He, yeah. couldn't, he couldn't answer me. So um, set up two businesses, lost about nearly four stone in weight. Wow. Skin's cleared up. My um, anxiety, not that I'm not anxious about anything, because of course, but I used to literally sleep about three hours a day because my anxiety was so bad, uh, which obviously caused insomnia. I sleep eight hours a night, most nights now. Um, I'm fitter than I've ever been at 34, nearly 35. Uh, Reduced cholesterol, reduced blood pressure. I've got more money than ever. Um, Relationships in all areas of my life are thriving. It yeah. just it just goes on and I on. Know. And no suicide ideation, yeah. you know. It's isn't it interesting how we become so obsessed with alcohol. We really feel like I felt like there was no way that I could live without alcohol. It just wasn't an option for me. And yet all of this is on offer on the other side of the fence. And what I love about the work that I do is allowing people to catch sight of that. Um and that's why I love going into workplaces because there's I don't know about you I'm going to ask you this but one of the reasons why I set up my business is because I never ever had any sober role models or anyone who said to me um have you ever thought about stopping completely it was always advice about moderation drink sensibly drink responsibly and I couldn't do that 
and I just thought I was a failure because I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. I now realize that there's absolutely millions of people who can't do that and that the advice is wrong. It's not the person, it's the advice. <laughs> and actually mm-hmm. the advice of it might be easier to have none than it is to have a bit. And you might feel a whole lot better having none than you do trying to have a bit. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's so simple and, and yet so revolutionary. I just love taking this message into the workplace and I wanted to ask you like did you ever have any role models or any education about alcohol from anywhere in your life including workplaces about absolutely not yeah no the only the only comments you'd get around um I'm from don't be wrong from a very nice town in North Yorkshire Harrogate it's a beautiful part of the world but it's not to make us sound like Neanderthals, but it was women, pints, football. That was yeah. your life. Mm-hmm. That's it. You you go out, you play football on a Saturday, you go home, get changed, round to your mates for pre-drinks, out on the pull. That was it. And then you do the same on Sunday, top up, and you go to work Monday. And if you didn't, you'd get called every name under the sun. And I won't go into them now because I don't want to offend any potential listeners, but you can probably imagine some of the slurs yeah. um, that you'd get. The, yeah. the main ones, you know, pussy, man up, toughen up, whatever. But there was way more extreme versions of that, as you can yeah. probably imagine. So, um, yeah, it was horrendous. And the thing is, we did a survey around about 80 men, all 35 and above, and 85-plus percent of those 80 men said the reason, the main reason why they won't stop drinking is because of what their friends will say. Yeah. And these are grown men that yeah. run multi-million pound corporations, some of them, yeah. and they're afraid of losing connection from their friends, which yeah. is crazy. So what we do with people when they start working with us is something which I'd encourage anyone that's listening to do as well, by the way. It's just something known as the coffee test. And my business partner introduced me to this. And he said, who could you go for a coffee with on a Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock to Cafe Nero and you have an open, honest conversation about how you feel about um, your relationships or your work and you don't have to talk about absolute nonsense and drivel? And how many people could you do that with? And I started getting quite concerned because obviously we we so want to be connected to others, you know, as part of our human needs. But I was starting to get to like five or yeah. six and I thought it was like 30. And then I realized, ah, they're a drinking mate. Doesn't mean they're a bad person, by the way, but they're a drinking mate. They are not someone I'm going to ring up if I'm going through a divorce. They are not someone I'm going to ring up for business advice. They're not someone I'm going to ring up if I'm having a really bad day on my mental health. And I, not actively, but I just started chopping people out of my life yeah, and reducing my exposure to it and focusing more on more quality relationships as best I possibly could. Because, no, I didn't have that person to look up to. I didn't have that inspirator. And I'd say about... Again, high 80s, early 90s of the people that have seen the most success in our program have all gone either alcohol-free completely or they've taken at least a 30, 60-day break because it's a very hard sell for people because we get very protective over alcohol. Yeah, we do. We go into like our inner child of, well, I don't like carrots. Have you tried them? No. 
<laughs> it's like that. Have you tried going alcohol free for 60 to 90 days? No. Well, then you don't get it. And that's okay. Yeah. You don't need to get it. And going back to your point earlier, which I thought was a really good one, there's this, I, I believe, this like level of shame about saying that I can't do moderation. Yes. And that's okay. Like when you look at moderation, why is 67 to nearly 70% of the country classed as obese or overweight? Because moderation just isn't an option for a lot of people. Yeah. And I'm sure you've probably heard this with your clients as well. Like, I've just got an obsessive personality. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, you know, it's like, no, you haven't. It's just (laughs) that you've got used to living your life in such a way for so long. But if you wanted to use that logic that you do have an obsessive personality, imagine if you did it towards meditation or or exercise or practicing gratitude or being present with your children. They're much more healthy levels of addiction. So, um. I know it's a long answer, but ultimately, no, I didn't. And I think the main reason was because everyone's living in this fear of being ridiculed and being ostracized ultimately from their inner circle of friends. Yeah, well, I mean, there's so many points in there that resonate with me. Um, So um, you might have heard me say this before, I'm not sure, but the 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 vision for choose sunrise is to be is that we become world leaders in eliminating the stigma associated with alcohol use disorder and the reason why that's the mission is exactly what you just said um that 85 percent of people who won't go alcohol free because of what the mates will say and i was one of those people actually so i struggled to continue to try and moderate for far too long instead of putting my hand up and saying I need some help and the reason why I didn't ask for help is because I thought people would think that I was an alcoholic and I didn't want people to think that about me because of the stigma so I believe that by reducing this stigma and more people like yourself who are like recovered out loud as I call it you know happy to share their stories and tell the world about how much happier and better they feel without alcohol the more people can do that the less stigma there will be um Mm -hmm. and as well seeing people who are you know successful who have um an alcohol issue of some kind in their past is really helpful for people because it helps them to really question their judgment. You know, you don't have to wake up in a skip and pour vodka on your cornflakes to go and get help with alcohol. And that's like a really critical message, I think, for people to hear. And it sounds like it's kind of the drum that you're banging as well. So I'm I'm really happy to meet you. And also, I live in Horsworth, which is Oh, not oh, very right. far away from you at all, which I didn't realise. Yeah, so, I'm, yeah. In, uh, <laughs> I'm in uh, Boston Spa. So oh, I'm brilliant. Spa. Yeah, yeah. I'm going there next week to a suicide prevention workshop at Oasis oh, yeah. um, School of um, HR and Wellbeing. Um, nice. Yeah, yeah. So, All yeah, right. really, really, yeah, well, you should sign where's up for the, it. Uh, where's the event? Um, I'll send you the details. It's from the RAW Network, Resilience at Work Network. Um, okay. Yeah, you, I'll send it over to you. I think you'd enjoy it. Yeah. I yeah, might even perfect. see you there. You never know. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so, um but the other thing I just wanted to pick up on as well that you said, I mean, I love the coffee test, by the way. What a great idea. I really mm. like that. And friendships, yeah. I, I quite often talk to clients about the fact that when they stop drinking, they can expect their relationships to change, but they mm. do get better. And yes, people might drift out of their lives, but the the, the correct people for them will stay. And mm. I have friends where, you know, in the past, we might have gone out and drunk 
wine together but we'll go for a long walk now or we'll go for coffee yeah. uh we'll go for a, a a curry and i'll have an alcohol-free beer they might have a an alcohol beer if they want one mm-hmm. um but the relationships that are not purely about drinking they stay and they get stronger because you're more present and you can work on them and you nurture them and you value them differently and the relationships that were just about booze they're just in the past now for me and they were great while they lasted but you know i don't really I don't mourn them at all. No, it's just different stages of your life. And exactly. I look at for for the twenties, they were great for my twenties, but they're not great for my thirties. And if they want yeah. to carry on in the thirties doing it, fine, because um I did a post on LinkedIn about uh, three months ago that got removed and I got banned for a couple of days because someone reported it. But I said I'd rather be classed as boring than um, sniff Daz Ultra off a piss-covered toilet seat. Um, and, What's wrong with that? Yeah, well, I thought that too because, yeah. I mean, it cuts through the noise and, you know, obviously the, the backlash was, so you're saying that everyone that drinks has to do cocaine. No, no, obviously that's not what I just said. But I know people that are late 30s, early 40s, sometimes older. I mean, I, I've seen people in bars do drugs with their kids so wow. they'll be coming in as a 50-odd-year-old and they're 20-odd-year-olds out and they want to be the cool dad, so they get a bag yeah. of cocaine and go in the toilet to do it themselves. I mean, that is crazy. But yeah. <clears throat> I know people have got young children and they'll go out and get absolutely shit-faced and they'll do loads of drugs and then they're wondering why the marriage is in the toilet. Yeah, And there's the whole cause and effect thing where we did a corporate training a few weeks ago and someone said... Uh, oh, I need a drink to cope with the stress of the kids. Now, I said, right, need. That's a very strong word. We don't need much in our lives. You know, we need food, we need drink, we need shelter, we need clothing. But other than that, there's very little that we need. And she said, you know what I mean? I said, I do know what you mean. And I know that you might think I'm trying to be clever right now, but believe me, I'm not. I'm just holding up a mirror to the words that you're using. I've not put words in your mouth. This is the words that you used. I need a drink. So you've got the, um, you know, association to it. And the drink is going to help to cope with the stress of the kids. There's so many labels in there. There's so many beliefs in there. And how can we create a new belief or a more helpful reframe? Because what is it that you're trying to chase? Well, I don't want to be stressed. But the alcohol is actually making you more anxious and it's impacting your sleep. Therefore, you're going to be more tired. Therefore, in the morning, you're going to be less productive. Then you're going to become more irritable. Then when they do drop the glass of orange juice at breakfast, you're going to snap. You're then going to go to work in a bad mood. And then there might be traffic on the way to work. And your boss might speak to you in a certain way. And then you get a phone call from the head teacher saying that your child's been really obnoxious. They've been obnoxious because you're not present at home. Then you get home. And then you snap at the kids again. And then when they go to bed, oh, I need another drink. Yeah. Like, that isn't a convoluted thing. That is what happens. Yeah. No, a no, lot I know. Like, yeah, I know. You know, that's that's yeah. real life for it a lot is. of people. And, you know, if you did meditation instead, or if you went outside for a walk instead, or drank healthily, you know, and ate healthily, then you would reduce the stress naturally. And the children wouldn't be as difficult to deal with. And you won't be snapping as much. So there is um, a lot of cause and effect going on, but it's definitely not the the solution. It's the problem. And we've got it mixed up for 
hundreds of years. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. And I think the marketing in the, in more recent years, um, is, is, has a role to play, shall we say. So, um, things are changing. I'm sure you've seen the Scottish government's, um, uh, consultation about how they want to almost create the same conditions for sale of alcohol as there are for cigarettes, which mm-hmm. to be honest, I fully applaud actually. So mm-hmm. I hope they get it through or at least, you know, the majority of it through um, because I think that'll be quite game changing. Um, mm-hmm. And it just helps people to make a more informed choice. I don't, I don't want to ban alcohol. I just want people to well, understand what it is and what it does so that they can mm-hmm. choose um, and feel that they can choose no matter what the mates say. <laughs> And that they're not going to be stigmatized for choosing to to live without it, you know. Yeah, so. when it's smoking, it's you know, if if you don't smoke and someone says, "Do you like a cigarette?" You don't say, "What brand is it?" You know. No. You say, "I don't smoke." You, yeah. It's an identity thing. I'm not a smoker. Yeah. Um. So, and I do believe that <clears throat> in ten years' time, and parts of the world alcohol will be looked at the same as smoking is now yeah, um because the way the world's moving and it's moving rapidly yeah and 10 years is a long time it is it is and and i've got a good question for you here so do you think employers are doing enough in this space absolutely not what nowhere should near. they be doing in your view it should be obviously. Um, some people will say this is quite a, a, a woke thing to come out with, but it has to be more inclusive. Yeah. Because you're neglecting about. Well, I think it's one in three people now, roughly, aren't drinking alcohol. And wow. Sixteen to twenty-five year olds, it's about twenty-five percent. Yeah. Yeah. Aren't drinking alcohol, which I was shocked at. I thought it'd be more like five, but yeah. twenty-five is huge. It is. So if you have got Gen Z employees you are actually neglecting around a quarter of your workforce if you've got younger people in your team. Let's say it's more senior and it's more like uh, law firms or accountancy firms or what have you, surveyors, solicitors, etc. It's all centered around alcohol. Most of the social occasions, client lunches, have to have a pint and a bottle of wine. A friend of mine's a, a lawyer and he went out for a client meeting the other day and uh, they met at quarter past 12, and by quarter past one, four of them had had three bottles of wine between them. Oof. How can yeah. you possibly operate at a, a normal level after that? Yeah. Well, the data says you can't. So yeah. when you remove the bias of, no, I'm fine, yeah. unfortunately, your version of fine might be something that you don't know is actually terrible. Yeah. So <clears throat> the ways it can improve it, by doing more like sponsored walks, it could be going outside for why does it have to be team drinks? I've seen people lose their careers at team drinks. Same. I've seen the CEO get with this, um, get with the receptionist at team drinks. Yeah. I've seen people fight with colleagues at team drinks. I've seen it all over the years. And it's almost the last thing that I would go to now as yeah. a suggestion, not the first. So, yes, you could do walks, you could do physical activities, you could do a day at Ninja Warrior. I don't know what the answer is in that sense um, because it's up to the you know the company that does it. But these, this, if I owned a, a business with more than 10 employees, let's say, and I was looking for a company day out, I would not be thinking let's go to a bar um, just because of those reasons. And it's just a cop-out. It's an easy way. 
Or if you do it still, make sure you go somewhere that at least has an alcohol-free offering that isn't just Diet Coke. Yeah. You know, make Respectful sure it's catered towards options. that. Yeah. Correct. Respectful yeah, options. Yeah. Religious beliefs, um, women that are pregnant, yeah. people that just don't want to drink, you're neglecting a very large percentage. And then if those individuals go home, oh, they're not a team player. Yeah. Well, no, they just don't want to be surrounded by people that are smashed. Yeah. Exactly. And what so, do you think about um, places that have got like a beer fridge in the office? Because that's that's co- quite commonplace in sales, marketing, advertising agencies. Um, or you yeah, go to a trade show insane. and at towards four o'clock, you know, the beers will be out on all the stands as you're going round. Views? Get it in the bin yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, it's, it's not because... Like you've said earlier, I'm not here to demonize alcohol. I worked with it. I used to create my own gins and rums and vodkas and whatever when the bar I used to work in. I fully appreciate the craftsmanship that goes into certain spirits and wines and what have you. And if, it's a big if, but if you can have the occasional couple of glasses of wine or cocktails and you're genuinely happy and healthy, please tell me how you do it because I'm really jealous because I never figured out how to do that. And I mean that as well. Yeah. If you can have a couple and you're genuinely happy, but most people are kidding themselves by saying that that's the case. So, but having it in the workplace and having it around when, if I'm a, if I'm in a high stakes job, let's say a lawyer or an accountant or whatever, and I've got someone looking after my contract and they're going out and getting not pissed, but, having quite a few drinks at lunchtime, I'd be thinking, what on earth is going on? Why is it so accepted? The quality of work is going to go down the toilet Mm. drastically. So, you know, it it makes little to no sense to me as to why that's the go-to. But the argument is, well, we've always done it that way. Well, imagine if we lived our lives like that. Yeah, I know. Well, when my mum was a typist back in the 60s, she was allowed to smoke at her desk. Um, mm. And, you know, when that was taken away, people were, were, were a bit miffed. But imagine if we were still doing that now, you know, exactly. things change. We know so much more about the harm that alcohol does. We know mm-hmm. more about the relationship between alcohol and mental health than we've ever known before. And employers are not using that information to make sensible decisions about how to take care of their their employees. Um and if it's not on your workplace wellbeing program, if there's nothing about alcohol on your workplace wellbeing program, I don't really mind whether you ring Adam or you ring me, but ring somebody who can help you add that to your workplace wellbeing program, because your your people will thank you for it. In it's been, I'm sure you've got similar experiences where you've you've been told people won't want to talk about this at work and no one wants to hear it and it's too taboo, but when you actually go in and do it wow people are blown away and people are making changes and you know someone told me last week that i'd saved their life which i did tell them i thought was a bit melodramatic actually but you know it is really important stuff um Mm. what what about your experiences of going into corporates and and doing this type of thing yeah i mean as you just alluded to there initially is met with a lot of resistance and yeah you know we always start our sessions by going around the room and saying, oh, what are you celebrating? What's a win that you've had recently? And, you know, you'll get a couple of smart asses that, oh, can't wait to go out this weekend and get pissed. And, mm-hmm. you know, just round of applause for you. Here you go. Well done. Um, have you got it out of your system now? You know, I'll have a bit of a laugh and a joke with them. But <clears throat> I say it to everybody. 
I don't give a shiny shit as to whether you stop drinking alcohol or not because it doesn't change my life. But I will give you some information that you may not have heard before. And if you do decide to reduce your intake, or at least one of you does in this room, then job done. And it's such an important detail to get this across because when I used to coach football teams or manage teams in hospitality, I used to always caveat this. Whether you do this or not, I don't really care. Not because I don't care about you, not because I don't want the outcome to be good, but I go home at night and I'm quite happy with who I am and what I want to achieve. But you personally can get better, fitter, faster, stronger, smarter, whatever it might be, if you do apply it. So you can either write down notes and ask questions, or you can stare at the ceiling and count the seconds until I stop talking. Either way, you're going to be here for the next 60 minutes. So you might want to get something out of it. And you'll be amazed at how many people then reach into the bag and start bringing out the pad and pen. Mm, Because otherwise it's just uh, what we have had before when we did our first, actually our first corporate training. All right for you two, two white men in the thirties, with at the time no kids and da 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 and you know we did go about it probably it came across quite preachy and some people listening to this right now might think it's quite preachy i don't know or virtue signaling or soapbox or elitist or whatever but that's that's not up to me to decide how they interpret what i've said but ultimately the message is i used to drink I gain new information i stopped drinking and just about every single aspect of my life improved and that's it that is the message that's exactly that is that is a really good summary of of my message as well i there were so many things wrong i'd drunk all my life i'd always been a drinker never even considered not drinking it just didn't seem like an option thought i'd be a social pariah and have no friends if i stopped drinking suspected i was drinking too much knew really that i was drinking too much um trying to moderate trying to get it under control failing miserably to get it under control and eventually like you say gaining new information stopping meeting other people who had stopped getting a sight like a glimpse of what how much better they felt and i kept thinking you know i was listening to all these podcasts and things i was thinking they can't all be wrong you know i'm gonna give it Mm. a proper try and then just going Ah, oh, I'm now one of them. <laughs> it's it's like mm. an it's the most transformational decision I've ever made in my whole life. It really, really is. Agreed. I cannot even begin to tell you how transformational it has been for me. And that's exactly the essence. You know, it's not preachy. It's here's some information about what might be possible for you if you choose to stop and just planting that seed. And a yeah. lot of people who hear me talk, they're not ready. They're not ready to stop and that's okay. But I do get messages from people who say that, you know, they've, they heard me talk a year ago and they've just stopped recently because they weren't ready at the time. Mm -hmm. But they'll say to me, you know, it was that talk that you did in the workplace that first made me think about it. And, you know, they'll send me Mm -hmm. notes telling me how many days sober they are. And it's just brilliant. I just think it's amazing and so rewarding. If I I was on, if I was on LinkedIn talking about personal branding or how to 10x your business every three seconds, like most people do, then yeah, I'd get heaps of likes and comments and whatever. But some of my posts, especially around alcohol, I mean, don't get me wrong, I've had a couple that have done really well, but generally speaking, 
people aren't going to comment and they're not going to like it because they're fearful of their network seeing that they've liked it. Yeah. So, but what will happen is I'll get four or five messages in the background and some will be, don't get me wrong. Sometimes it's, I'm an addict. Can you help me? And no, I can't, you know, and I won't want to try because it's not the thing that I'm trying to push right now, but I'll always advise them where to start looking. Of course, Um, it might be, someone just going oh I wish I could stop what do you mean you wish it's implying that you're not capable (laughs) yeah it's like saying I wish I played for Man United that's not my choice whether I can play for Man United this is fully your choice yeah but granted we're all doing the best we can with the resources that we have and if someone is that insecure or unsure of what to do and how to do it there's an education process around that but I definitely share the belief that you just shared previously around it being the most transformational thing you'll ever do. And we always encourage people, just take a 30-day break, and then you'll Mm -hmm. see all the benefits yourself because the compound effect is a real thing, similar to the example I gave earlier around the woman, you know, that I was speaking to about drinking too much and what have you. But we had a client on Saturday, went to go watch the rugby, and he said, I really don't want to drink. And I said, don't drink then, because he started on the program for the whole reason to do it. It's going to be a big test, though. I said, what is? He goes, well, I really want to drink. I went, well, drink then. So drink what? I said, alcohol-free beer. You're implying that you're just going to be stood there with your hands in your pockets while your friends are having a good time. You can still have a good time. You can still engage in conversation. Oh, what about the peer pressure? Well, you're a grown man. I'm sure you'll be fine. So anyway, he went to the rugby, didn't drink, and got to about 10 p.m. and he said, I am so pleased that I didn't do that. He's got an 11-month-old baby. His wife's at home. And she said, the next day, I'm so grateful you came home at that time and not 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm so grateful that you allowed me to sleep in a little bit more and you took care of the baby. I'm grateful that we've gone for this morning walk together and they had the most amazing brunch together and then they went out on the evening together and the list just went on and on and on from one day of not drinking alcohol that none of that would have happened if he got drunk. So it's not just the impact because when we have a low self-worth, we're not necessarily bothered by the effect it has on us because we're not worth it anyway. So who cares? I'll just keep drinking. But when you bring in the value that it provides for your family, like for your wife or husband and children, we'll always do something for other people um, bigger than we will for ourselves because that's just the way that we're wired as humans. But especially when you've got low self-worth, especially when you feel like you're not good enough. And I just encouraged him to keep revisiting that in the short term, make this bigger than you because you don't feel like you deserve it right now. So make it about your wife, make it about your kid. Then you'll start to see what an impact it's having. And naturally, you'll improve your own self-worth in the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great advice. And write it down. I always say, write down all of the things that were better from that one time that you didn't drink. Um, Because that can, when you write things down, it uses a different part of your brain to when you just think about them or when you talk about them. And so you're just, you're just wiring it in, in, in in different ways, which can be really Mm -hmm. helpful for habit forming. So yeah, brilliant. I love that. And you're right. It is, it's everyone around you. Um, My kids have told me, I mean, they're teenagers now, but they have told me that I'm more patient. Um, I don't get upset about little things anymore. Um, They said, 
things like sometimes when I drank a lot at home, it would create a bad atmosphere is the words they used mm. and they, that that's all gone. Um, I mean, I just, I do wish I'd done it when they were younger. Um, but I'm so glad that I did it while they're still at home and that they've had a sober role model, you know, mm. as a mum. It's, you know, their dad drinks, but not a lot. And their mum doesn't drink at all. And I just think, you know, they've seen what it's like having a mum who drinks a lot and they've seen what it's like having a mum who doesn't drink and I know which one they prefer. Mm. So, yeah, yeah <laughs> at least I've managed to do it before they left home. I'm grateful for that. So, um, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you today, Adam. Um, and I always finish these interviews by asking people, what is that your favourite book and why? So, love to hear favorite about that. Favourite book? Yes. Ooh. Any book? <laughs> yeah, any book. <clears throat> Oh, Chimp Paradox by uh, Professor yeah. Steve Peters. It's a great one. Yeah, it is. Um, and there's a, there's another one I want to mention purely because it's not as well known, but yeah. it's called The Untethered Soul. Oh, that sounds um, good. By Ooh. Michael A. Singer. Right, so that those two <laughs> books, I know that you know we can use quite drastic language sometimes, and I don't want to, um, you know dramatize this but these two books genuinely helped change my life yeah 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 because it gave me such a greater understanding into who i am as a person and why i've done what i've done my whole life but the chimp paradox is yeah incredible and but the untethered soul like michael a singer just in general as a person is someone i'd highly recommend you start listening to he's just the most peaceful man on on earth to listen to he's just like a a wise old owl kind of thing he's uh, he's incredible but the book is uh amazing oh that's a great recommendation because that's someone who i haven't really Mm -hmm. come across before um so yeah i'm going to do some research and uh, get that onto my ever-growing reading list, which is yeah. <laughs> it's quite like, extensive. But, you know, we do get through them in the end, don't we? So, yeah, it's perfect. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Adam. Oh, and yeah, sorry, thanks. before I sign off, I must ask, where can people find out more about your work? Um, Probably, I mean, typing in Adam Smith on LinkedIn yeah. isn't probably a very good idea. But uh, if you type in A-Game Consultancy on LinkedIn... Yeah. It'll probably link to me. Uh, we've got a website, which is www.agameconsultancy.com. And um, on Instagram, I'm Adam Smith underscore NLP coach. And on TikTok, uh, I changed my handle yesterday. So I'm going to have to double check what I've renamed that. So I can't actually remember myself. Is um, the alcohol free mindset coach on TikTok. Perfect. So, yeah. Perfect. Brilliant. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for being a great guest and for being so open and honest and sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much to Adam for being my guest. It was such a pleasure to meet you and especially finding out that you're from just down the road in Harrogate. Um, So here I am in sunny Horsforth on the other side of Yorkshire. So, yeah, it was great to meet you. Um, And if you want to find out more about the work that Adam does, then you can head over to A Game Consultancy, which is his website. It's uh, literally agameconsultancy.com. And you can find Adam on LinkedIn. He is uh, Adam Smith High Performance Coach on LinkedIn and Adam Smith underscore NLP Coach if you're on Instagram. So make sure you check those out.
I'm just going to give my webinar one more plug. So I am doing a completely free of charge webinar aimed at HR professionals or anybody with an interest in workplace well-being. And that's on the 9th of March in the morning. Um, tickets are free. It's in collaboration with Stratus Coaching and you can find those tickets on Eventbrite. If you search in Eventbrite for what are we going to do about Dave, you'll see the event come up. So come along and find out how our fictional character Dave gets on with a few different workplace scenarios. Um, so that's it from me for this week. I hope you're all very safe and well and have an enjoyable fortnight until next time. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about creating a drink-safe workspace without killing the buzz, visit choosesunrise.co.uk and head to the HR Services page. Let's end the stigma because nobody should feel afraid to ask for help with alcohol use.